This is the Property Development Book Club podcast. Please be advised that the views expressed are of the individuals and do not represent their employers and should not be taken as advice. Please do your own research and seek advice from an appointed professional. Welcome to the Property Development Book Club podcast, where in this episode we're talking about the skills gap and the difficulty of talent acquisition, particularly in the built environment. Today I have an esteemed group with me. We've got a mix of business owners, recruitment specialists, talent acquisition specialists, so the perfect group to be speaking to this very topic. Um, I'm Hattie, I'm a development surveyor by background and I now work in PropTech. And if each of my members, panel members, could introduce Habs, you can go first. My name's Haben. I'm a director at Hammond Clark, focusing on interim management and permanent appointments within the private and public sector. My name's Bolo Kamethan. I'm a structural engineer and director at Tissimil Engineers. I'm Sarah Hayford. I'm the founder of The Land Collective, and we work to get more young people from diverse backgrounds into the built environment sector. My name is Kevin Boachier and I work at Heinz as a talent acquisition and DEI specialist. Thank you very much. So I suppose the things we're going to talk about today are what are some of the causes of the skills uh, gap, some trends that we're seeing in hiring, some innovative ways to try and overcome the skills gap and importantly changing the uh, culture in the real estate industry that we know um, needs some work. So um, let's start with some of the causes. Kevin, can you start with um, what do you think some of the reasons are that we have a skills shortage at the moment? I think it's lack of information of what the sector's about, what it represents and the opportunities within the sector. So I think many people have kind of in their mind made it up to be very much when you think of property, real estate or even construction, people think of just on-site labouring and it goes mm. so much further than that and I think there's been a lot more education around what it is in order for people to understand and be attracted to the sector. Yeah, that's a really good point. And Sarah, you're doing some really good work to raise awareness. Yeah, I think I agree with Kevin. I think a lot of it comes down to general awareness and not a lot of people, when you mention property or construction or even planning and things like that, a lot of people can put together the dots. They just kind of have perceived like notions of what that's like. Yeah. And that extends even down to schools, you know. So when you have career education days or um, even when they're just talking about careers with advisors and counsellors and things like that, usually property construction doesn't even come up in conversation. It's usually the big ones, law, banking, engineering, finance. And mm -hmm. that's kind of where young people's minds goes to. So I think it's up to us as an industry and other kind of organisations within the industry to kind of go out, reach out to young people and tell them what our sector is all about really. Yeah and that obviously should help in the longer term but we actually have you know we have issues you need people in your business today right who have yeah. the skills so what, it, what have you been um, doing Bola to help overcome that? I mean it's an interesting question because ultimately um, you know when you need someone in to help your business you would go down the traditional route you know go to recruitment and try and find people who fit the mold of fit that um, if you like the spec that you see in your mind but actually it's it's like a lot of things that perfect perfect person doesn't exist mm -hmm. so I think business owners like myself and um, or even you know recruitment consultants probably need to think about how we can think about the attributes 
you know, that will fit in a business or in a um, team and how we can give them the skills that they need um, mm -hmm. to grow within that team. So more personality fit in the knowledge that skills can be learned. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's one thing that I learned um, recently. Um, it's something called a DISC profile, and it's understanding mm. about you know people's um, mentality and what sort of um, you know where do they sit? Are, are they introvert, extrovert, and how does how can that sit with your business? Because ultimately, there is room for different types of people within a business. I think if we get the people the right attitude, then you know we can try and give them the skills. And I think the onus is on us to try and be more um, training focused. Mm. You know, try and so people can see how they are growing within a um, business. That's really interesting. I think that's one of the reasons as well that we do have a shortage of staff is that I think lack of investment in training, but yeah. at the same time, if you look at the, you know the built environment, you've got you know a diminishing workforce, and then you've got you know the take up isn't at the way it used to be, mm -hmm. and then you've got an, an investment you know a booming investment, so it's a cocktail for a shortage of staff really. So what's that for you, Kevin? How's that actually reflected in what you're having to do to entice people? I mean, you work for one of the biggest. Uh, landlords in the world yeah. you would have thought it would be just people walking through your door desperate <laughs> I think we're having to kind of remodel ourselves and how we mm. sell and pitch the business so it's not just about come and be an employee now it's come we're having to almost kind of sell like a journey or a story and people especially your millennials and your gen z's really buy into what am I creating mm. you know it's not just uh, you know I built city hall or I built wherever it is it's you know it's the journey that it goes on and so I think we're having to kind of remodel our pitch a lot more and talk about the journey and talk about this story. People feel like I'm a character in the story and I think that sells a lot more to people. That's really interesting as well because um, I think often people just think of recruitment as being a function of HR and it's, it's really not, you're, you're selling your business. Yeah. We're, we're literally ha having to sell on a day-to-day -day basis. We are attracting talent. This is that literally is that talent acquisition. We're remodeling job specs. We're remodeling how we pitch the business. We're remodeling even the job roles in the departments. We're having to kind of rebrand ourselves in order to be a lot more attractive to the market now. And so on this point about Gen Zs, do you think that it's effective? This is really uh, like generalistic, but like, you know, should Heinz be on TikTok to be like <laughs> raising awareness? Does that work or do they see straight um, through that? I think <laughs> I think Gen Zs are quite good at seeing right through things. Yeah. Um, so the brands and employers that tend to do well on TikTok don't just talk about, you know, what they do as a company. Oh, look, like we just built the shard recently and this is how much we spent. It's more about their company culture. Mm. Like, what is it like to actually oh. work here? Here's what we're doing related to sustainability and the environment and things like that. So I think they've gotten really savvy in kind of sniffing out rubbish, if that makes <laughs> sense. So you don't exactly need to be on like every single social platform as well. But I think going back to what he was talking about in terms of selling um, the business and kind of what you do, I think that also appeals to Gen Z too. So a few years ago, um, Land Collector had been running for five years as a bit of context, but 
kind of like three years ago when we were going into schools and colleges to talk about um, a career in the sector, mm. it was all about, you know, kind of, oh, here's how much you can earn and here are the kind of projects you can work on and here are the kind of teams you can get involved in. But now we've had to change that drastically because mm. people don't care anymore about that kind of thing. I mean, some people do. Mm. Um, depending on kind of like their background and things like that. But most people, they kind of just look at us and like, okay, and? Um, so we've kind of had to change up our style a bit. And now it's more about, okay, your journey, like Kevin said, and what you can actually contribute to your local society as well. So if it's that, okay, um, here's how we're working to kind of get to net zero, or here's what we're doing in our community to kind of bring more people together, those are the things that people now want to get involved in, um, which is quite exciting, I think, yeah, for the industry so as exciting. well. And I think it speaks more towards that element of kind of like the squiggly career. So yeah. kind of not staying in one thing your whole life um, in the long term. But I think that change has been quite important. And I think employers need to also make a note of that yeah. moving forward. Um, and I would hope for small, you know, you run a niche practice, right, Bola? I think. Um, that makes, for, for me, as a smaller business is much better able to tell that story. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tricky because, um, yes, yes and no. I mean, there's so much we can do as a small business to um, get better at it. But ultimately, there's that challenge between, um, you know, delivering for your clients, mm. but also... Um, bringing people through and 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 pathing a career for them because ultimately people like you, you said you know people want to feel like they contribute like they had some um some say or some input into things you know and i think what we're trying to do as a small small business is to give people the um ownership you know the autonomy to say you know this is what you are doing this is what you're working on this is what you're delivering and it's it's all you you know, mm. you know this is this is you so you know own it enjoy it you know if you enjoy what you do then it does it feel like work you know or does it feel like you know yeah that you it's are much more satisfying exactly, yeah. yeah so i think that's 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 where you're trying to um make it a little bit more interesting for people mm. and how do you find that with the I think with organisations now, um, you know, like at Heinz, it's all about your employee, you know, value proposition. What does that look like? How, you know, is it meaningful? Is it real? You know, stories from internal people that are actually in the organisation, giving you, you know, insight into what it's like in this organisation. If it's not, you know, real, authentic, meaningful, and it has to be, you know, aligned with your strategy, I think like Sarah said, people will see through it. Um, yeah. But using platforms like TikTok and, you know, whether it's Instagram or all the other platforms, you have to be proactive to attract talent. You have to be, pro they're not just gonna, you're not just gonna put a job spec on LinkedIn and think, okay, I'm gonna get the right hits here. But that's not, I think you have to be a bit more creative. And, you know, what you spoke about, smaller organization, we should be training people. And it is about rethinking your workforce, understanding that, that we do have an aging, you know, mm. amount of aging skilled workers that maybe I can attract to come in on a part time basis while I have a, you know, a, a pool of talent coming in, you know, like yourself that are interested in the industry and we're training because realistically not everyone you bring in as a, you know, a school leaver or, you know, a college leaver is going to stick it out all the way through. So you need to have a pool coming through all the time. Mm. So then the process then becomes uh, maybe out of 10 people that we brought on free made it but 
you know, those three people, you've trained them, they're going to be loyal. Because yeah. I don't know what your take is on, but I feel that this new generation, you know, you may, may tell me differently, but two years, three years, they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if I'm skilled, two years, I've got my experience here, I'm going to look somewhere else now. That's How do you breed loyalty? You know, had you, and that's by training them. You know, of course, you know, the way you treat your employees as well is a lot more, it's critical now because I think the world we live in now where, and the, and the work environment we are now, we're disconnected with our work families or work environments. And most of our managers are probably not trained to manage remote teams. That's so true. you're yeah. quite disconnected. So. So there's a skills gap in management as well as skills gap in actual doing the work. Why do I, you know, after two years, why do I need to be here? And that's when we go back to the EVP. That is so important. We talk about it with organisations all the time. Why should I go to your organisation over this organisation? Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest part in our retention. You know, I can't afford to lose A, B and C, you know, let alone bringing somebody new to replace what this person's provided me. So there's a lot of thinking organisations are doing now and a big part of it is retention. I'm, yeah. I'm sure Heinz is doing this. Yeah, and I think, you know, kind of following off that is the people management aspect. That's so, so crucial. I think we're kind of, we can't overlook how, how important people management is because people want to feel valued as they go into a company. Every single day I turn up, I want to be my essential self. I don't have to put on a mask or a character. I want to come in and be myself. So as we attract people, we need to show them that we're, very human and we're very normal and we also have the same struggles. I think the pandemic, we kind of had Zoom meetings, you could see people's books and people's dogs and people's cats yeah. and people's kids and those things are what people want to see. They want to see that you're actually being authentic and being yourself as they join your company. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And do you, do you think, obviously there's been a lot of movement over the last two years, which I imagine in some ways has made it easier to pull someone away. Do you think people are going to become more risk averse over the next, you know, if, if the markets keep going the way they are, do you think people are going to think, oh, actually, no, that you're going to need more to pull them to a new company? They'd rather stay where they are? I think there are two types of people. There are people that are going to look at it and think, actually, it's a great opportunity to go and make more money elsewhere because mm -hmm. some, some sectors will boom slightly and be able to have opportunities. Some people will do that. I think what we have seen over the last 12 months in general in the market is there's been a lot more movement over the last 12 months because people held off their moves because of COVID, sat tight, didn't want to be made redundant, whatever, just sat there and waited. And over the last 12 months, people, have, especially having had bonuses early part of this year, have moved on. I think as we head into the next 12 months, I think people will sit tight, generally. Um, yeah, not as much movement, I don't predict. I think it's a wider market now. Um, you know, one of the biggest trends you'll see is uh, remote recruiting. So I don't need to work for an organisation in London anymore. I can be anywhere up and down the country. So if the projects are better in Scotland, you know, if you're that type of person and are confident or are interested in that project, then you may go to Scotland. Not that you'll be there every day, but I think you're seeing that, especially in the new generation, especially just generally now, because of the remote working, it's giving you access now, which probably you may not have even thought about before. Yeah, um, so I think retention is important. I, I can't stress enough that, you know, holding on to your people before you then think about, okay, I need to add, I need to yeah. add. But I think you touched on it, the economy now, you know, people are thinking, what's it going to look like, you know, over the next few years? I think there will be some challenges, you know, financial struggles with the built environment, but, you know, we're already kind of lacking skilled workers anyway. So yeah. people that are 
highly skilled and not going to have a, an issue finding. Overprovisioned. Mm. I think on on that point, well, I understand your um, you have particular expertise in timber and offsite, which are obviously quite new but very highly in demand mm. markets as the world moves towards more sustainable development. Mm. Um, so you, you've perhaps in a situation where you can't get people to work with you because they don't exist because no one's worked with CLT or mm. whatever it is. Like how, how do you find that? I mean, it's interesting because everyone wants to get involved, um, mm. but not um, everyone's got the skill or the experience. So this is where we're talking about training. Um, mm understanding and getting the basics right in terms of the basic skill set that they have and then we can introduce them slowly so for us as an organization that's actually understanding what they need you know in terms of skills um what and where do they want to be in a few years time and if you like we talked about before about managing that journey mm. um so it's it's very rare that I get someone through the door who says yes I've done Tim before I've done yeah. this before you know we've have to say okay yeah we you've done something similar, you know, but we're here to help you go through it. But part of that journey is not necessarily that we hold their hand. Mm. They, it's still up to them to, you know, to take ownership of their career path. Um, and, but it's what they get and put, what they, um, what they put in is what they get out, you know. But I think the point is, is for us is that if we can manage that journey for them and help them get to the expertise that, you know, that, someone like our business requires mm. um it, it's it's you know people would like that people like that people want to know that they can grow you know in um as a technical expertise in whatever mm. um so one thing i have noticed is just it's just really understanding what people want at different stage of the of their career so at the beginning they may not they may want to know about timber we've taught them about timber you know okay they might leave but then what do they want next mm. you know and i think that's the um clear thing just to keep on you know thinking about you know what do they need I think in that space like you said not everyone you know, doesn't have that skill set so you probably are interested in their softer skills you know you know how determined they are what they're liking to research yeah. and then managing the technical side yourself you know as in training them but if you've got those softer skills managed understanding what your business needs oh I need people that are strong at research or you know whether it's you know communication skills I think it's that, isn't it? And then, then you add in the technical side, or your team adding that technical side. It is, yeah. I mean, I think um, depending on how balanced your your office is will depend on what you need next. You know, so you know there could be one role, but you've got lots of people who are very, very technical. Yeah, same role, same level, but maybe you want people a bit more softer skills or the softer skills. You know, because then it can it can balance out. Because ultimately, we are providing a service. But we're providing service to people. Mm. You know? yeah. So sometimes those people that are quite technical are probably the comms aren't as strong in the yeah. communication skills with the clients. Yeah, happens. So it happens. So yeah, that's where the the training, you know, to try and give them a bit more rounded skills. Gives set. you a balance in the in the office yeah. as well. I think transferable skills are something we really need to kind of consider as well. Mm. In the shortage, there, there are people that have experience from other sectors that can transfer into you know, property, real estate. So we need to consider those people quite strongly as well. Do, do you actively go out and look for those people? 100%. Yeah. We actively go out and say, if you have ABC skills, mm. you may be able to fit into what we do. And like you're saying, upskill as you go along. Target them because there are similar, you know, when you look at storage or you look at, you know, transport, you know, there's, they, they have the same kind of agendas or interests. Not all of it, but there is a, yeah. a way of transferring their interest. Oh, have you ever thought about 
built yeah. environment and yeah. going out and getting them at early stage as well in their studies yeah. as such. But yeah, there's definitely, you know, they have the same interests. You can divert people's, but then that's about the targeted, you know. Yeah, it's been intentional. I think it's the core skills. Like for example, property, you tend to find a lot of people ex-army yeah. in the property sector. And that's because there's a very, you know, very regimented, they're organised, they, they follow a process. It's, you know, we're going this direction and we're not deviating. And so they do very well when it comes to property construction development. So like you're saying, I think there's so many soft skills we can pick up on and build the rest as we go along. Hi, my name's Kevin Boachi. This is the Property Development Book Club podcast series two. Like, share, subscribe. Hi, this is Sarah from The Land Collective. This is season two of the Property Development Book Club podcast, sponsored by Moving Space. Be sure to like, share and subscribe. Hi, I'm Hattie and this is the Property Development Book Club podcast, season two, sponsored by Mood and Space. Like, share, subscribe. Hi, this is Habs, director from Hammond Clark. This is the Property Development Book Club podcast, sponsored by Mood and Space. Please follow, like and subscribe. Hi, this is Bolog Meffin, structural engineer at Tissom Engineers, and you're listening to season two of the Property Development Book Club podcast. Yeah, it's funny, as someone who's just been very kind of property focused for the last decade or so, I've not, because my work's always been property, I've not really thought like, oh, actually, you know, logistics and things like that, storage actually have a lot of very similar skills. And, and it's targeting, I think, when you look at talent attraction, you know, of course, oh, I can go as wide as I, lo- oh, as I want, but if I focus on those skill sets and then go wider, you know, I think you have a better hit rate as well. Mm-hmm. It's, it's my take on it, because you could go and try and find someone in retail that might want construction, but I think you would need a, a different approach. Whereas if you're looking at those, like you said, logistics, mm-hmm. yeah. it might be quite similar. Yeah. So it's the thinking behind it and yeah, and I think that's what you're seeing a lot more now is trying to steer people away from, you know, what they're looking at at the moment to maybe the built environment. Yeah, it's interesting when you reference the squiggly line career yeah. and um, that very much speaks to that doesn't it yeah. just following your own strengths yeah exactly and I think that's also kind of what I've done in my life as well so <laughs> I kind of started off um, I got my entry into property through interior design oh, nice. when I was at uni um, even though I didn't study interior design um, but that's kind of where I got started and then yeah. I went into commercial retail surveying and then ended up starting land collective which is my own business so yeah. I feel like my thing is more kind of passion led <laughs> and sort of yeah. soft skills led and kind of like you kind of find where your calling is depending on kind of what you do, who you interact with and kind of where you kind of find your strengths. So yeah, I'm a big testament to that. Advocate. <laughs> yeah. Advocate, <squiggly> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think there is a fear if you're, you know, in your career, there's a fear of having that the squiggly C V. People, you know, there's the attitude that um you know, what what have you been doing? But you're saying that that's not really a problem so much anymore, maybe. I think for me, the key, and Habibi may say different, I think the key for me is always why, why the squiggly line? Mm-hmm. There's always gonna be a reason why. Mm-hmm. You know, people have various things that go on. COVID is gonna leave a lot of squiggles in a lot of people's CVs. You know, people have personal issues that they go through. So I think traditionally we'd say, you know, you need to do four years, four years, four years to have a good CV. Like we're saying now, it's more one to two years. But why? It's understanding, have you moved for a project? Have you moved to diversify your skill set? Have you moved for a better opportunity? Were you headhunted? Have you moved following a boss? Mm. 
I think just looking at something on paper is very easy to say dismiss something, dis mm -hmm. dismiss someone. But I think actually engaging, that's where it comes back to engagement is understanding their journey, understanding them. Who are you? Why have you done this? And sometimes when you actually understand why people have moved three times in five years, you think, you know, you're actually moves. you're good moves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's really interesting. And, and I think, uh, I think a l myself as a consultant, I, I'm always speaking to employees and telling them, look, take control of your career learn what your value is not so much with a new generation because i think they do it automatically they're <laughs> out there every two years but you know i speak to people that have been in the same organization 10 12 years they're, you know it's something they've enjoyed doing yeah. but they've never gone out to see what their value is or looked at other organizations you know and i think now being as i keep saying disconnected from your work environment i think a lot of people are looking around now and, and if there was a period of time and, I, and you may agree it was, it was really candidate driven candidates were really making their decision as who they want to work for yeah. and a part of it is what you said they follow a leader some people follow a leader you know and that's one of the I would say is employee value propositions is you know who what's your company who's your company being led by you know what what, is, what are the skills that people are looking for who to be led by so yeah I think it's um it's a different I guess thought pattern for people that are new into it you know, two, three years, but there are people that ten, twelve years, and I will always push them. Learn what your value is. Mm. I think it's important. And so, because you tend to, to work at the more executive executive level, how do you find how open are people to upskilling and retraining and b making a lot more now? Um, and I think a big part of it is you, the person, the employee. You know, if and I do, and I do feel the new generation are a lot more, um, I guess, happy to do their own research. But I think a long time ago, people needed to have their hand held. I think now, giving people some direction, they will go and do the research. Mm. So I do feel the built environment probably is doesn't market itself as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I think podcasts like this nature and people watching them will will get want to learn a bit more. But there's still a lot of work to be done in the built environment. You know, you look at financial services, they market themselves, you know, they pick people up from university. How many, you know, construction organisations are there at universities, you know? Yeah, I think it's also a case of, um, I don't know, I think it's also a case of just getting people to understand if, what they want to do in a few years' time. You know, it's almost like, you know, we talk about this five-year plan, you know, because mm -hmm. that would kind of, determine whether a new move after two years is a good move because squeak alone is fine but you know if you if you have a plan that i want to do this by that time it could be a financial goal it could be a personal growth goal it could be anything you know i feel that i feel once you have that you know it's easier for that individual to to know where they want to be or what they want to do and not get swayed because i mean when i was working um, as an employee, um, you know, I've got recruitment agencies call the office <laughs> often. Day. You know, they'll recruitment office. They'll, they'll literally, you know, there's nothing just every day. They'll literally call the office and say, <laughs> oh, I'm, yeah, "I want to speak to this person." Yeah, I want to speak to this person about um, a project. Yeah, you know, or a conference. Or a conference, you know. So I'm like, "Yeah, Green hi." It's just like, "Oh yeah, you don't know me. You haven't met, you know, and that sort of thing." And it's 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 you know, when the market's hot, that's always going to happen. So. Yeah. And I think it's about giving people a, um, you know, a, a, 
opportunity to be a part of things, you know, mm. to contribute. So for me, I knew that I weren't moving until I finished a certain project. And once that mm. project's done, we'll see what's next, you know, because mm. um, I knew that was important for me. And I think if we can do that for, yeah, you know. I think, I think that's uh, what you're finding is, I think, throwing money at it. What was it someone taught me a long time ago? Money doesn't buy loyalty. It just rents it for a while. So an employer trying to keep someone just by paying them, not really what I feel now, that's not it, especially in the built environment, you know. And I think, like you've like been saying, I think people's needs in this time are so much more than money. People want comfort, yeah. people want flexibility. Yeah. You know, someone... They want to have a say. They want to have a say yeah. in what the organisation... Yeah, exactly. People on know, holidays. They want a development programme. You know, mm. I, want to, I want that. I want to see what my development programme looks like. I want it to be a bit more clearer organisation and learning that they need yeah. to do that. It's not and this is, I mean, one of the biggest problems we have in the real estate industry is is the culture. And this mm. is this is pointing to a cultural change. Yeah. I, I've always felt when I was um, surveying that it's always like the best surveyors who get promoted, right? It's not the best managers. And then that's, I think, a key thing is you were saying, Kevin, like actually teaching management skills to surveyors or people in the building. I think it's so essential. I think like Bola was saying, like looking at when, when is the project going to finish and don't wait for the project to finish before you think about giving someone an increase. Mm. Go 12 months before. Mm. By the time that project finishes, they're still going to be happy. Mm. And so I think it's just being tactful, mm. really, if we're going to retain people in the industry. It's got to be proactive now. Yeah. They know that organisations have to be proactive. Yeah. I was, was going to say as well, um, in terms of being proactive, it is literally, I mean, it's so easy for us to get caught up in what we're doing, but it is a case of really, you know, looking after your people and your people will look after you, you know, mm. and almost like, you know, because we talked about, it was talking before, um, but, you know, just making sure that the basic needs are met. Um, and, I mean, we haven't got every single um, problem correct, but, you know, you start to understand that, you are dealing with people outside the office and inside the office. You know, mm. so it's a it's, it's a case of just trying to just make people as comfortable as possible. And managers may not be able to do it. You know, part of it is to do with HR. You know, you know, smaller businesses probably find it a lot difficult. Yeah. You know, hiring a HR, you know, member of HR to focus on that. So it, it's probably a lot more difficult for smaller companies because the manager's trying to win new business, manage a team. You know, and, and then trying to understand each employee, you know, that is, and that's why it's, it's a cost, but, you know, probably a cost worth. A cost worth, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think kind of following on from that, I think another key thing is utilising different resources to maintain your people. Mm. So I think, you know, having diversity groups, having ERG, so employee resource mm. groups, having mentoring means that somebody doesn't just have one point of contact. Mm. They have various points of contact. You know, they have their ERG lead they, they can go to, they have their mentor they can go to, who can give them maybe what you as a manager can't give them. Yeah. I think that's one thing, I mean, talking specifically from Heinz that we do, that allows people to have different points of contact and different viewpoints, because that also helps to keep someone in. So maybe I might not be able to reach my manager because he or she's away for a week, but my DEI lead is there or my ERG lead is there, my mentor is there to be able to help me. I haven't got that close touch anymore. We're not all in the office, you know. Yeah. You get a feel for someone or you know what they was up to last weekend. You, it's, you know, you're becoming a lot more distant now. So, yeah, it's, it is challenging. It is challenging for employers. It really is. And having so many different groups, you get a better feel of what your, that, that employee is as a person or what their interests are. You know, it's not just monetary anymore. It really isn't. Yeah, I think that's kind of something that... I'm trying to actively encourage the employees that we work with as well is that 
there's lots of power in collaboration. So yeah. if you know that something is going to take a while for you to implement internally or you're really struggling with it, then you can collaborate with different groups, mm -hmm. different networks. There are lots of external mentorship programs that you mm -hmm. can connect with and things like that. So, you know, you don't all have to have it internally and have it be like a really expensive exercise. You can it's collaborate really with cool. other groups mm -hmm. who do it and have been doing it for a very long time, very, very well to well. yeah to get yeah. that um you know the output really yeah that's um that's a really innovative way of thinking about it because yeah i think the automatic thing is oh well i, I can't afford a massive hr team right now so i can't yeah. do it and it's yeah, like and no I think it's it's yeah it's like a negative thing because i think quite often they think that we have to do everything in turn you have to do everything on our own mm. and that's not true at yeah. all um you can yeah. probably get further by Working with somebody else, yeah. or yeah. I mean, we yeah. outsource our HR to a yeah. big company, so it works. Yeah, yeah. it's really um, interesting conversation. Thank you. I think what I would love to hear from each of you is, you know, if we've got people who are listening, who are thinking about um, where should they go next, what what you know, what route should they take, what would be your specific advice to people in this world or this market? Um, to sort of take that their next step, perhaps? I think if you're interested in construction, the built environment, I think speak to leaders, reach out to them, connect to organisations, follow organisations. I think the more you learn about these organisations, you will see a fit for you as an employee. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, Construction isn't just, and we spoke about it many times, it's not hard hat, it's not mm. steel toe cat boots, there's regeneration development, project management, procurement, there's so much, so many avenues you can go down, uh, and then you have the sustainability, building safety. So I think it's about learning more about organisations and ones that fit your agenda, who you are as a person, and then furthering that research into the roles that could fit your natural skills are. You know, I never had a, a natural progression to consultancy. I worked in finance for a long time, enjoyed people-centric um, roles that I did, then moved into consultancy. So, and also what I'd like to say is, the first role you get is not gonna be the forever role. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's about seeing a gradual progression in yourself as well. Um, and slowly you find out that what you liked when you was 20 to 23 may not be what you liked between 26 yeah. to 29. And it's and it's having that kind of motivation when you're going for roles. It's, this ain't my forever role, but I'm learning and I'm learning. And I think that's, yeah. that's better because I think some people kind of put all in, oh, I'm going to do everything in this role. It's not that way yeah. now, you know, things change. People change, you know, your managers change, you know, organisations, agendas change. So, you know, Balfour Beat might be the place you want to be between 2023, 2025. It may not be, may not be led by the person you want yeah. it to be led by. So. I think point. it's doing research, really, I think it's important. Yeah, Paula, like how about you? What do you think um, you should, you need to entice people into this, into our space? What do you, oh, um, what do you say? YouTube. <laughs> YouTube. Honestly, like, you know, I even watch YouTube right, yeah. about my own industry. Yeah. You know, I watch a day in the life of structure and you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll tell that's you a bit what, different from mine. Yeah, exactly. There's so much, there's so much information out there. And I mean, you can, I actually see things that I watch because um, um, they do these things where they have these um, architectural um, students put on their, um, their portfolio mm. and it's been quit. And I thought, oh, that's quite interesting. I think there's so much, um, there's so much information on YouTube. Yeah. You know, if you really want to understand the industry, 
there's lots of different. I mean, there's um, a, there's one channel called I think um, B1M, which oh, is excellent. a which is a great one, Ooh. a great introduction yeah. to the industry. Um, there's lots of day in lifes in yeah state uh, manager or structuring the architecture. You know, and I, I think YouTube is a fantastic resource for anyone who wants to get insight into um, the industry. Fantastic, and obviously property development book clubs on YouTube yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So just a little plug there. <laughs> Sarah, how about you? Um, I think a bit of advice I'd have would be to reach out to more groups. I think that, um, especially at early career level, when people kind of want to break into a sector, they're interested in the sector, they would usually go on LinkedIn, maybe oh, director of JLL or something like that. Mm -hmm. Let me just message them. And that could be great. It could work out really well. But I think going after more smaller groups like this one or like Land Collective, um, shameless plug, or <laughs> like, um, I don't know, back professionals in construction, going after yeah. smaller groups because then you can start building your network and speaking yeah. to people who do so many different things. Yeah. Um, so you can find people who do like management or can like maybe they do a state agency. Like you can find so many more people in smaller groups yeah, that are just so part of networks. Channeled. Exactly. And yeah. when you start speaking to people, you learn about their experiences and their journeys and then you can kind of start to build your own yeah um but sometimes when you just kind of look at you know what x person does online you think okay that could be pretty cool you get into it and it's actually not, not what, what you, you want. want yeah not yeah, even at all so i think really yeah talking to people connecting with um smaller groups and just kind of forming your career journey from that it could be really useful thank you okay. yeah i mean i think kind of following naturally from that i think my key thing is networking yeah. network and when you network don't just look for what can they give you what can you give them back as well mm. I think that's really key irrespective of where you are in the journey and I think the other thing for me as well is is values I think maybe five years ago we talk a lot about cultural fit I think that's gone it's more value fit now mm. so whether this company value and does it align my values if it does then you've got a match made in heaven yeah. great well on that note I'll say thank you all for joining me that's some really interesting thoughts on um, how to retain good people and also if you're looking for a new role to maybe have a little bit more confidence that if you're a good personal fit then the skills can can come with time and good training. This has been the Property Development Book Club podcast. Thank you for listening. Like, share and subscribe. This is the Property Development Book Club podcast. Please be advised that the views expressed are of the individuals and do not represent their employers and should not be taken as advice. Please do your own research and seek advice from an appointed professional.